News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Facts, truths, what the heck's the difference? I've always struggled with that. I thought facts were the truth, and truth were factual. Oh, well. Hi there. How are you doing this Friday morning so early? Ah. What is this week coming up? Huh? to and fro why you should have seen the snow it was near seven feet or more by the old bundle find a sleigh that was waiting for this day and of course down the road a hill for each Jack and Jill Every wind brings that stories Spent the snowflakes up in flurries This is good old sentimental season Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. 
incredible, wasn't she? Karen Carpenter and their Christmas stuff was epic. I gotta be honest with you, I'm just gonna make a confession right now. There are two giants in my life, one in music. Now, I would never call Karen Carpenter alone a giant, but the Carpenters together? Uh, I don't know, folks. They were something incredible back in the 70s. There'd never been anybody like them with that four-part harmony, all their music. And she by herself was just an incredible voice for the ages. So I put her right up there with maybe Whitney Houston. But then in another part of our world that is really important to me, and those of you that know me, you'll understand this, I miss Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was a voice for the ages for conservative Americans and for conservatism. And for many, many years, for decades, he just seemed to keep us on track when there were diversions coming from everywhere. I mean, all over. He was just kind of like the centering factor. I could be just torn asunder by all the nastiness coming from all kinds of sectors of our world. Politics, the economy, religion, and it just seemed like I could come back and listen to one Rush Limbaugh show. And he didn't have all the answers, but he challenged me to keep me on track to believing and understanding that I could find the facts in everything if I would just objectively stick my nose into all of the uproar And just through a sense and an understanding, a prayerful understanding, I might add, I can find the facts. The Bible says the Spirit of God searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And if you have access to the deep things of God, don't you think that you probably have access to anything you need and the understanding of it? We've had some great direction in music, which was it's been my world forever. Everything I've ever done, a 32-year-old company, everything I've ever done. Do what? Do you need your phone? Yes. Excuse me. Interruption there in the studio door. Marianne bringing me my, uh, my studio phone, which I walked out of the house without my studio phone. I lost my train of thought. Oh, well. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm glad that you joined us this Friday. And yes, I will always have a deep place in my heart for Karen Carpenter and Richard Carpenter and the group's music. Ralph Carmichael produced and arranged all of their songs. And one of our closest friends, Dion Zaduron, sang on a bunch of the Carpenter albums. And so it's like it's a family affair. Well, how are you this morning? How are things going where you are? North Louisiana, it's a little chilly. The weather's decent. And we're looking across this weekend as all of a sudden we're in the week before Christmas. The week before Christmas. 
You know what? We have so many things to wade into today. But folks, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Can you can you handle one just one more Christmas song from a Louisiana guy? How about Harry Connick? Little Christmas. Hang all the mistletoe. I'm gonna get to know you better. This Christmas And as we trim the tree How much fun it's gonna be together well This Christmas The fireside is blazing bright We're caroling Through the night And this Christmas Will be a very special Christmas for me. Presents and cards are here. My world is filled with cheer and you. around your eyes outshine the town they do the fireside is blazing bright we're caroling through the night and this Christmas will be a very special Christmas with me going on in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, the fireside is blazing bright. We're caroling through the night. Yeah. And this Christmas will be a really special Christmas for me. Connick Jr., of course, that's who was singing that song. 
His dad was a district attorney back in the, uh, oh, I don't know. It would be kind of like the Roaring Twenties back in the 50s in New Orleans. And there was all kinds of illegal activity going on. Carlos Marcello, you remember that name? He was a gangster, a thug that was, he was uh, all wrapped up in wars with John F. Kennedy uh, Jr., JFK president. And uh, uh, Carlos Marcello was deported. He was sent to Cuba, exiled in Cuba. Well, Harry Connick Sr., for a lot of years, was the arch nemesis of all of that syndicate stuff that happened in greater New Orleans. How did Harry Connick Jr., in the middle of growing up in that, how did he end up being such a great crooner? Oh, well. It's Christmas. Thank you so much for sharing it with us and just humoring me to start the show with uh, Karen Carpenter (laughs) and first snowfall of the winter. Of course, that's not happening in Louisiana, but guess what? In Beantown, and we've made some new friends from Boston that have been on the show, I think, almost every day this week. We have access to look at the IP addresses of phones or computers Uh, people that join the show live, and uh, around the world. I mean, to be quite honest with you, this might scare you a bit. It's intimidating for me. Uh, I could, I don't know exactly how I would do it, but I know there's a way to do it. I could uh, live, I could send you a message through the IP address of your phone or your computer, whichever one is listening to TNN Live. That should be kind of spook you. It does me. But nevertheless, I just want to thank all of you. This has been a great year. We've all been through things, uh, and we're still going through a lot of things. But isn't it nice to have a place to go, you know, right after you get started in the morning and maybe maybe you're on the way to the office, uh, as our people in Boston, I don't know who they are. Uh, in fact, we've got a couple of dozen IP addresses from people in Boston that are listening in right now. You're in a different time zone, but you know what? It doesn't matter where we are, when we're together. We can be together and be as one. What a novel idea. Put aside our differences and just be Americans. Just be people that are thankful for all of our blessings, everything that we have, and not being angry for the things that we would like to have but we don't have. But know this, that you live in a nation where our Constitution guarantees you and me that we have the unfettered non-government intervention opportunity to be and do anything that we want to do. No guarantees you're going to make it or get it, but a guarantee or two or three or four or a couple of dozen that anything you want to go after. The government's not going to stand in the way. In fact, the government will lend us a a helping hand in many cases. And I know it's hard to believe that our government will do that, but they do sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes they do it. I want to start the show this morning. You're going to hear from uh, some people in Congress. Uh, You're going to hear from some people other than the people in Congress that are testifying to Congress. I've got four of those kind of situations that I want you to end your lend your ear to as we go through the show this morning. And the first one is something that I think should uh, 
really enthuse all of us. The National Archives, that's the government entity in D.C., that they put together all of the documents, even recordings, testimony. They put all that together and they keep it, and it belongs. Everything they do, everything they collect belongs to the American people. It's the National Archives. Well, regarding inhabitants of the White House and the vice presidential part of any administration, they keep every piece of communication and, and archive it. It's there. And after a certain number of years, Congress many years ago when they established a National Archives, they set a number of years after that administration leaves office that almost all of, but there are certain communications you know that we don't ever need to hear or be able to access. Probably if we could, it'd scare some of us to death. But on the most part, access to many of those things, most of those things, text, emails, telephone calls, meetings, those kind of things, are released. And on January 1st, the anniversary that is a big anniversary in that there's going to be declassification of all kinds of communications during the first four years of the Obama administration. Now, what does that mean? Well, Joe Biden was White House in those four years. And we are found out this morning that there are communications, official communications, between then-Vice President Biden in the White House with his son, Hunter. And some of this communication comes from conversations that occurred on Air Force Two, on international trips. And some of the communication out there we know has to be with Hunter Biden talking about some of the stuff they're going to do on some of these trips. Here's Byron York at Fox News. He kind of breaks it down. The National Archives reportedly set to release hundreds of pages of White House records, including emails about Hunter Biden and Burisma. The document trove dates back to 2014 when President Biden was Vice President Biden. But will the White House allow those records to go public? One of the questions we are going to ask to Byron York, chief public, chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. You go public all the time. Every day. Make that point. So let's look at this, first of all, from a 30,000-foot level, because you wrote in the Washington Examiner that House Republicans and the White House are about to go to war yeah. over Hunter Biden. What does that war look like? Well, uh uh, Republicans in the House start an investigation. The investigative, uh, the oversight committee under James Comer start uh, an investigation. A number of outside groups that favor Democrats, former Democratic activists and like, are currently raising money uh, and planning strategy on ways to attack the investigation. Uh, to help uh, Democrats or, or potential subjects uh, resist uh, subpoenas, to attack the witnesses like Tony Bobulinski, the former Hunter uh, Biden business partner who has had a lot to say, uh, basically do the old-fashioned uh, attack the investigator strategy. We're going to see that. And the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge that Republicans have is convincing the public that this investigation is really about 
Joe Biden and not just about Hunter Biden, who doesn't hold a position in the U.S. government. Yeah, in fact, that's the point that James Comer is making, saying, you know, this is not about investigating Hunter Biden. This right. is about investigating the president of the United States to see if, if he improperly benefited from his son's overseas business dealings. I mean, you can't really make a case if you're the chairman of the Oversight Committee that, oh, we're going to investigate a private individual. You have to say we're investigating a public individual. Yeah. And then if you catch a private in individual in the investigation, well, then you got both. Yeah, well, if you, if you listen to some of the defenders of Hunter Biden, there's a lot of sordid material on the Hunter Biden laptop. He was a crackhead, and they do all sorts of really awful things uh, in the midst of their addiction. And much of that is recorded in pictures and stuff on the, on, the, on the laptop. So you're hearing Democrats saying Republicans are just, they just want to expose that stuff. They're just crazed about all the salacious material, and that's all this investigation is about. And and Republicans are saying, no, 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 we're interested in bank records, yeah, the financial records. We want to know where the money went. So this treasure trove of documents that the National Archives yeah. is apparently preparing and may be prepared to release, how hard do you think the White House will fight to keep these from seeing the light of day? Well, we don't know if it's a treasure trove. I mean, we don't know exactly what it is. It's very interesting. This is a lawsuit filed uh, by a group called America First Legal, which was uh, started by Stephen Miller, the former longtime Trump White House aide. And they did a pretty clever thing, which is file a Freedom of Information Act request for documents that have the word Burisma in it, being the Ukrainian energy company that hired Hunter Biden for at least $50,000 a month to do not much of anything. Uh, so the question is, will the White House or the, uh, the Obama archive turn over this information? Uh, there's two ways that they can not turn it over. One, President Biden, the current president, could claim executive privilege over something. It might be a little, a bit of a stretch. Yeah. And two, anybody who's ever filed a Freedom of Information Act request knows they have ways of not giving you stuff. So it's entirely possible that there could be uh, lots of withholdings just for no particularly good reason. Or even redactions. Exactly. Things. All right. Byron, great to see you. Good, good to be here. As well. Thank you. You know, there are many of us that are sitting out here, and when we hear about this, ah, revelations, revelations, you got to remember this. Getting information doesn't mean anything at all when it comes to holding people accountable. Now, wait a minute. You can't hold anybody accountable for wrongdoing unless you have information, right? But it's nothing more than a starting point. And I got to be honest with you. I think a lot of people think the same thing that I'm about to tell you, I believe. If Republicans get caught up in the same old thing that happened during the Trump administration and the first year of that administration, where Democrats just went full bore ahead and they were out shooting shotguns, they were going around trying to do anything and everything possible to find dirt on Donald Trump. And the American people didn't like that. Oh, they wanted there to be investigations, but they wanted them to be very focused and very pointed and fact-finding only. But if you start getting political, if you start getting Republican versus Democrat, Democrat versus Republican, that means you're going to start shooting with a shotgun. Don't go down that rabbit trail. Don't do it. Govern the nation. And anything and everything that is part of that process, doing 
what's best for the nation. And sometimes that means you got to go do some digging and find out some things. I would love for the Republican Party to undercut and find all the illegal stuff that happened during the Obama administration. I've always said that. And by the way, if there's anything illegal that happened in the Trump administration, I'd love to have that uncovered. I don't care who did it, even the orange man. (laughs) Whoever called him that made that up. It was so applicable, especially back at the beginning of his first term. Oh, he hadn't had a second one, has he? Maybe there will be one of those. I don't know. Anyway, finding facts is all that matters to me. Investigating to find facts of wrongdoing. And make sure before you start digging that there's reason to dig other than we want to go find dirt on the former president. We don't have time, we don't have the energy, and we certainly don't have the resources for that. Just make it, if you're going to do it, be a piece of governing the American people for the next four years. What well, two years left in this administration. How about that? Well, we've got some more stuff to dig into. I love Josh Hawley. Senator from Missouri. I would love for him someday to run for president for a lot of reasons. He's a very point-on person when it comes to investigating and interrogating or talking to witnesses. I love him. In fact, he has been, I don't know what you call it, a bulldog. That's what we would call it in, in the South, a bulldog at going after and finding facts about the sources of the COVID-19 virus. What really happened? Where did it come from? And was it artificially manipulated to change it from being just out there in nature floating around, maybe being manipulated by people? Ooh, evil people, huh? Well, I would think anybody that would want to try to make a virus that's kind of benign in nature, but make it more salacious so that it could really hurt people. Somebody that would do that's pretty evil. Josh Hawley's up next with some of that. Man, you don't want to miss it. Josh Hawley. He's up next at TNN Live. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, 
because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. One of the best Steely Dan songs. You know, I saw them live my freshman year in college, Louisiana Tech in Ruston, Louisiana. I guess that was in 19, uh, I guess 71 or 72. They were amazing, still are. Love that kind of music. I love this time of year and Christmas music. And we're going to have a little more later in the show, so don't go away. No, this is not a radio show where I'm a DJ playing the hits. Uh, what did they used to say back then? Playing the hits and talking dirty. <laughs> I'm not a disc jockey. In full disclosure, I was at one time for a lot of years in my uh, first life, even when I was in college. Anyway, that's a story for another uh, decade or so. Let's get right back to it. Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, a uh, Senate hearing with some doctors about the sources of the coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. COVID-19 is actually the disease that is caused by SARS-CoV-2. That is the virus. And yes, there was a ton of research on SARS-CoV-2 that happened in the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China. There is a plethora of details and information and facts and evidence that we've shared with you here on this show, even doctors in sworn testimony. These doctors and what they have to say in this conversation with Josh Hawley should frost you. And I want you to listen very closely to the specifics, not the pontification or the I think that. I want you to listen to the facts that are being shared. Here's Senator Josh Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to the witnesses for being here. Uh, Dr. Coy, if I could just start with you. You said in your, in your written testimony that the genome of COVID has some of the hallmarks of, of gain-of-function research, and in particular, three genomic regions you say have the signature of synthetic biology. One region has features of the two types of forbidden gain-of-function research that are associated with bioweapons development. And you said in your opening remarks that you believe COVID-19 was the product of, of gain-of-function research and was the, from a lab leak from uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. My question, I guess, is do you think that China engaged in a cover-up to prevent the world from knowing the true origins of this? virus and a lab leak? Uh, I, I think there's abundant evidence that they have not shared all the information they had at the time. They continue to not share information. I could give you a laundry list of 20, 20 things that they've done, starting with a 
a website with 21,000 viruses on September 12th. 2 a.m., someone was in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That, that had been available to virologists for, for a decade. It was taken offline. It's not been returned. We've asked uh, to see it. No one that I know of has ever seen it. It goes on from there. Are you concerned with the continuation and expansion of Chinese gain-of-function research? Well, I think I testified here that, they, that on, in December 2019, they were doing synthetic biology on a cloning vector of the Nipah virus, which is 60% lethal. We just experienced a 1% lethal virus. Uh, my estimates would be that that could set us back a millennium. Um, the, the Black Plague was a 20% lethal event, and it was 250 years for civilization to return. Let me ask you this. How safe were the testing conditions at Wuhan, to your knowledge? Well, I think that a lot of the Western virologists actually used that, the findings of that as a way to, to get around saying it was okay at the beginning. All of the work that I've described as being done at what's called BLSA 2-3 level, which is commonly spoken of as a, as a, the dentist, a dentist laboratory level of, of biosafety. So maybe a little higher than that, but that's not a bad euphemism. You said, uh, I think in your testimony, this is the most dangerous research that, that you have ever encountered. Um, what makes this particular research so dangerous? If you're doing experiments with a pathogen that is 60% lethal but is not airborne, and you make it airborne in the laboratory and someone walks out with it. NEPA has a 21-day incubation period. It's perfect for, for widespread spread uh, without being detected. Uh, we couldn't afford 60%. We can't afford 10% lethality. Yeah. Um, Dr. Ebright, let me uh, ask you about the merits of, of uh, gain-of-function research, because I was struck by something you said in your written testimony. You said gain-of-function research has no civilian practical applications. Um, from a research perspective, then, what, why do it? I mean, what's the, what's the value, the real value of gain-of-function research? Not a matter of value, but incentives, particularly incentives within the academic research ecosystem. Gain-of-function research of concern is fast and easy, much faster and much easier than vaccine or drug development. And gain-of-function research is publishable and gain-of-function research is fundable. With those four incentives in place, fast, easy, fundable, and publishable, uh, the research will be performed. What uh, is... Eliminate any one of those incentives and it will not be. So thinking about China for a second, what, what's China's interest in gain-of-function research? They have witnessed the United States leading the way with gain-of-function research. Most gain-of-function research of concern performed to date has been performed either in the U.S. with U.S. funding or overseas with U.S. funding. Uh, China has wished to be part of that and has participated in gain-of-function research of concern in China with U.S. funding and has also supported gain-of-function research of concern uh, in China entirely through Chinese programs. So uh, let me ask you this, uh, gain-of-function research and bioweapons, what, what, what's, the, what's the connection there? I mean, what role does gain-of-function research play? As I mentioned, there are no civilian practical applications. Right. There are immense bioweapons practical applications. Uh, as you've heard from Dr. Esfeld, the potential pandemic pathogens that can emerge from such studies are potential weapons of mass destruction, inexpensive, accessible, easily distributed weapons of mass destruction. 
Let me, um, let me ask you about some of the things that you have commented on with regard to what NIH and Dr. Fauci have said, and frankly, the lies they've been caught in regarding the coronavirus. I want to highlight two of them. In response to a congressional inquiry from October of 2021, just last year, the NIH attempted to walk back assertions by NIH Director Collins and Fauci that NIH had not funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. You commented at the time saying, and I'm going to quote you now, NIH, specifically Collins, Fauci, and Tabak lied to Congress, lied to the press, and lied to the public knowingly, willfully, brazenly. On May the 11th, Dr. Fauci said the NIH and NAIAD categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You commented on that, saying the documents make it clear that assertions by the NIH director, Francis Collins, and Fauci that the NIH did not support gain-of-function research are untruthful. So just expand on that, if you would. I mean, what are the implications of Dr. Fauci's continued blatant dishonesty regarding NIH's funding of gain-of-function research in Wuhan. I stand by my statement. The statements made on repeated occasions to the public, to the press, and to policymakers uh, by the NIA director, uh, Dr. Fauci, have been untruthful. I do not understand why those statements are being made because they are demonstrably false. Can I ask you just about, in my, in my few remaining seconds here, let me ask you about an effort to, to shut down any kind of questioning of the origins of, of COVID. On February 19, 2020, a group of virologists and others published that famous letter, infamous letter in The Lancet, which said, among other things, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. And of course, we later found out that the Lancet letter had been organized by Peter Daszak, uh, president of EcoHealth Alliance, which we've discussed today, operated a lab in Wuhan with a $600,000 five-year annual grant of taxpayer dollars from Fauci's NAID to study bat coronaviruses. That letter conveniently concluded by stating, we declare no competing interests. Many people designate this letter as the first effort to, to quash any kind of debate about the origins of COVID-19. Do you think, do you think that labeling the lab leak theory as a conspiracy theory so early on had the effect of slowing down investigations into the origins of the virus? It certainly had that effect, but it, the uh, Lancet letter that you described was only one of two efforts to impose the false narrative that science shows SARS-CoV-2 entered humans through natural spillover, and that that is the consensus view of scientists. One of the efforts was the Lancet letter you discussed. The other effort uh, was uh, coordinated and orchestrated through the National Institutes of Health, through the NIA director, uh, Dr. Fauci, and the NIH director, Dr. Collins, and resulted in the publication of uh, an opinion article entitled proximal origins of SARS-CoV-2, making the case, again, uh, that SARS-CoV-2 could not have been uh, a product of uh, research-related spillover. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The one thing I wanted each of you to come away from that conversation with, it is this. There is no reasonable purpose for the United States of America or anybody in our government to be either funding, which Dr. Fauci did, Peter Daszak, 
EcoHealth, Dr. Fauci, they're, I mean, one of the same, basically. Fauci put all of the funding together for the research into the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There is no private reason for doing that. And the only excuse that I've ever heard anybody give for justifying gain-of-function research, what gain-of-function research is taking SARS-CoV-2, and that's just one example, take the virus that appears in nature naturally and weaponizing it, making it more powerful inside a lab. There is no civil purpose for doing that. And you just heard Senator Hawley ask, what reason would Dr. Fauci or anybody in that lab or any lab be pushing for the increase or the transmissibility making it happen? And it would only be for the purpose of bio-weapons. Think about Dr. Fauci being part of that. He's an American, highest paid federal employee, including any president, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And he not only was involved in it, he oversaw grants through the National Institutes of Health and his sub-organization to EcoHealth. That's Peter Daszak. You heard the doctors talking about him. He is the one that wrote the check of the money that the United States granted to EcoHealth. Peter Daszak wrote the check to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for the express purpose of weaponizing SARS-CoV-2. And you and I both know what that did. It initiated COVID-19. Not firsthand, but secondhand. Dr. Anthony Fauci is secondhandedly responsible for the weaponization of the virus that killed millions of people on the planet. There is no other plausible explanation for doing that. Now put that in your peace pipe and smoke it today. Well, our government's hard at work. Oh, I mean, they're really hard at work. They have been pushing, working around the clock to find a way, somehow find a way to create an omnibus bill so that everybody in the Democrat Party that's not going to be in control anymore after January, we got to find a way to pack a bill of some kind full of money that we can pay off everybody that we need to pay off because we're not going to be able to do it anymore when we're not in leadership in the House. I, I'm, I'm kidding. No, I'm really not. I'm telling you the truth, but I'm laughing as I tell you the truth. It looks like the big omnibus bill that's going to be stuffed with all the pork isn't going to make it. But they did pass in the Senate a one-week spending bill that will stop the government shutdown. Don't you feel good this morning to know that? I got to be honest with you. I'd love them to pass a bill that they would shut down for, oh, I don't know, six, eight, 12 months or so. 
They passed a one-week spending bill to keep the government open as they continue their negotiations over a big omnibus bill. It's called the, the bill they passed a CR, Continuing Resolution, and it passed in the Senate 71 to 19. The passage of the bill came less than 36 hours before the government was set to be forced to close. The short-term bill gives lawmakers more time to work out the details of a larger, you think, $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package for next fiscal year. However, it could face some trouble in getting passed. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, He's expressed openness to passing the biz, uh, spending bill for the for the year, despite demands from House Republicans, who'll take the majority in the lower chamber January third, to wait for Republicans to take the House. Now put that little truth in your peace pipe and smoke it. Senate Minority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell, leader of Republicans in the Senate, he's been pushing to get this omnibus bill passed before the Christmas vacation. Chuck Schumer said this. Now, he's the majority leader in the Senate. Quote, this is about taking a very simple, exceedingly responsible step to ensure we finish the year without hiccups and with minimal drama. A one-week CR will give us more time so we can keep on working. They're committed to finding ways to get this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill passed. I got to be honest with you. That would be almost like the United States, Uncle Sam, the whole nation, taking a gun out and sticking it to their heads and firing the shot of suicide. $1.7 trillion more dollars? Do you think that makes any sense? Prior to the vote in the House, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who is probably almost certainly going to be the Speaker of the House as the Republicans take over control of the House on January 3rd, he's butted heads with McConnell again and again already. Republican critics of this omnibus scheme warn it would effectively allow the outgoing House Democrat majority to tie Republicans' hands during the first half of next year. They're trying to jam us right before Christmas, McCarthy said. Why would you ever move forward when there's a change in power in 21 days where Republicans would have a stronger hand? Now, this is back on December 13th, way, way ago, three days ago. (laughs) He was on... Hannity's primetime show, and we actually played this segment for you yesterday. We wouldn't be talking about adding more money, he said. We talk about decreasing spending. And then there's Republican Chip Roy from Texas, one of my favorite people in Congress. He's led calls to this effect, blasting McConnell for even considering passing a full omnibus. Here's what Roy said, quote, I'm looking at Mitch McConnell when I say this. Do your job, Leader McConnell. Do your job and follow the wishes of the American people who gave a majority to Republicans in the House. House Republicans aren't the only ones 
who've been calling for allowing Republicans to craft the spending bill for next year. Four Republicans in the upper chamber. Senators Ted Cruz from Texas, Mike Lee from Utah, Mike Brown from Indiana, led by Senator Rick Scott of Florida, a vocal McConnell critic, by the way, also call for McConnell to hold off consideration of a full omnibus bill until next year. On November 8th, the American people made their voices heard at the ballot box. This is in a letter that those four members of the Senate and the House sent to McConnell. Using the Democrat process, millions of Americans sent a message. They want divided power in Washington to curb the worst excesses of both parties. Not just one, both parties. The proposal has been criticized by conservative policy analysts. I'm a conservative analyst. I'm not an official one, but if they get that omnibus bill on the floor to be looked at and voted on, I'm scared to death that they're going to get it passed. And it is nothing but government handouts. The defeated outgoing Democrat House majority is hoping some Hollywood-style flair will hide their true aim, namely to stuff trillions of dollars in new spending down the throats of the American public. That comes from a real analyst, Richard Stern. There is, however, no need for theatrics, he added. Enough is enough. There is no need for such a careless and rushed omnibus. Conservatives in Congress could pass a short-term continuing resolution and carefully write new appropriations bills at the beginning of next year. They did get the continuing resolution passed. Now, you know, it's uh, 1049 Friday morning in Washington, D.C. They still have time. (laughs) If they want to screw the American people just one more time before they take their Christmas break. In a way, I'm kind of joking. In a way, I'm not joking at all. Hey, listen, forgot to tell you this at the top of the show. If you want to weigh in on anything we're talking about or drop another little tidbit of reality that we can get into, feel free to call at any time, toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. We'd love to hear from you if you want to chat. So what else do we have going on? Now, some interesting judge activity. Judge Matthew Kazmark of the Northern District of Texas, he did a good thing. He stopped Joe Biden's from ending the Trump era remain in Mexico policy. And that sets up another court battle over the immigration policy. Now, why would there be a war about it? Why would any thinking, thoughtful, real leader in the White House want to stop the Trump era remain in Mexico policy? There's only one reason. You want to flood the nation, Mr. President, with more and more and more illegal immigrants that you're going to, in your gut, your only real cause for doing that is to, as quickly as possible, find a way to give them citizenship, full citizenship with the right to vote, and then you'll make them because you'll denigrate them to death unless they vote straight Democrat 
in every election, federal, state, and local. That can be the only reason for your wanting to end that Remain in Mexico policy. The Supreme Court left open the possibility that the district court, North Texas, had the power to vacate the administration's ending of the program. Judge Kazmark's decision, it stays, it's temporary, but it stays a Biden administration policy memo from October that attempted to terminate that policy until the court can resolve the merits of the plaintiff's claims. I wish, I wish sometimes it didn't take so long to get something to happen in the court system. And you know what? A lot of our political actions are taken specifically knowing that if any of it's tested down the road, <laughs> it's going to take forever. In fact, this president, Joe Biden, he said it several times. Hey, I know the court's going to kick this out, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. And we'll try to get as much of it done before they stop us. Does that sound like a real leader? I mean, wouldn't you think a real leader would want to pull the nation together rather than every day do more and more and more to divide us? And this is the guy that said, quote, I don't want to be the leader of the Democrat Party. I want to be the leader of the nation. And every person that lives in the United States, I want to be the great uniter. Have you seen anything this president do that could even vaguely be classified as an attempt to unify the nation? I'd love for you to email it to me if you've seen it. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have a brain surgeon that stepped down for a little bit to volunteer to be the spokesperson for President Biden in the White House. Her name, Corinne Jean-Pierre. And yesterday, she just did a little more of her brain surgery on, or attempted to on the media. She defended Joe Biden's response to the border crisis during yesterday's press briefing. When she was asked about the border, Jean-Pierre told reporters, what Americans should know is that the president has done the work to deal with what we're seeing at the border since day one. And then, of course, she all immediately took a swipe at Republicans. Why? For executing political stunts, her words. We continue to see political stunts from many Republicans out there. And that's not how we're going to fix this issue. They want to secure the border. We've been doing that work on our own. And we're asking them to, hey, you know, what? there's an immigration reform plan that the president put out on the first day. They should work with us and do this in a bipartisan way. Well, then she got blasted. I know that shocks you. Some went on Twitter to get after her for defending Biden's record on the border despite a record influx of illegals under his watch. RNC rapid response staffer Jake Schneider tweeted, This might be the most egregious lie I've heard from this pathetic administration. Anyone with eyeballs can see Democrats haven't done jack to secure the border. Steve Guest 
who's a special advisor for communications for Senator Ted Cruz. He described Jean-Pierre's assertion as laughable and tweeted an image from Fox News' Bill Malugin of over a 1,000 people illegal crossing into El Paso at one time. In response to her argument that the Biden administration has been securing the border, Representative Cliff Bentz, who's a Republican from Oregon, tweeted, What? How? Where? When? Tommy Piggott, Rapid Response Director for the RNC, tweeted, Biden on the border last week, there's more important things going on. If Biden actually went to the border, he'd know his administration is lying every time they say the border is secure. Breitbart's Wendell Hausbo tweeted a one-word response to Jean-Pierre's comments. Propaganda. I'm looking right now at a picture. I don't even know where this came from. It is a picture, and obviously it's somebody standing in the water. I'm I'm assuming it's the Rio Grande River down there. But it's a picture taking a picture of people. It looks like hundreds of people that are in the water walking across this body of water, and apparently this is Malugin. He's Fox News' guy on the ground and has been for some time down at the border. I have a lot of faith in him. I never knew anything about him, never saw him before Joe Biden was elected president and all this stuff began to happen down there. But the picture I'm looking at, it may be thousands. I just don't understand how anybody can reconcile that. There's no possible way. And I get stuck on one thing. Anybody that takes the oath of office, part of it, and it doesn't matter which department you're taking it, it says you're going to, you raise a hand, you're going to swear that you're going to abide by the laws of the land personally, but you're going to make sure on your watch that the Constitution and everything in it is adhered to. Isn't that what everybody should do? Shouldn't that be what we all do automatically? And then you have people in this administration and a bunch of others. They just absolutely ignore the Constitution, and they do everything they do based upon a political perspective, including the President of the United States, who somehow wants you and I to believe that even though he swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution and to abide by the rule of law, He doesn't do either. He hasn't since day one, and he's not going to on day 1,000. He abhors the rule of law about anything with which he disagrees, and it's okay. He can do that. Why? Because he's Joe Biden and the president of the United States. Let everybody know that. He is in charge of everything. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy, the white round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? 
Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks, fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert, they're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding Captain Label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. song. That's uh, called Come Closer to Me from Andre Crouch and the Disciples, a, uh, a Christian group. Um, they founded, I guess, in about 1968, maybe 69, sometime in there. Andre Crouch was the leader of that group. Good friend of mine, personal friend, a great communicator, one of the best in Christian music over, um, gosh, three, four, five decades, I don't know, a long time, multiple Grammy Award winner. He was just a great guy, really a great guy. Well, I'm going to tell you something now, that if you're a living, breathing American and you believe in the rule of law and you believe in honesty and you believe in equal justice and equal opportunities for everybody, you're going to spit when I tell you about this, California, if you listen to anybody from California, it's the greatest state in the nation. They are more endowed with factual information and understanding than people that live in any other state. One activist there yesterday has warned California's reparations task force. Did you know they even have one? They do. They have a reparations task force. And this task force has been since 2021 investigating, finding out exactly how much the government of California owes to African-Americans that live in the state as reparations for any of the wrongdoing that happened 180 to 200 years ago by evil white Americans that held blacks as slaves. Now, this guy, he warned them. 
yesterday that while they're considering what to do and how much the government of California owes every black person in the state, he said there will be, and this is a quote, a serious backlash if they do not comply with his demands. What are his demands? More than $800,000 to be handed out to every black resident in California. His name is Dion Jenkins. And he told the first meeting of this uh, group, it's got a formal name, Task Force to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans. And he said to this group yesterday that money given to black people in the California state should be in line with the average price of a home in California, around $800,000. So following his appearance at the hearing in Oakland City Hall, this happened two days ago, Jenkins, who calls himself a hip-hop organizer, was interviewed. He said in the interview, quote, either they're going to comply or it's going to be a serious backlash. As I said, since 2021, when this group started, the first of its kind in the nation, this task force has been delving into history and studies to make its case for reparations to California descendants of enslaved black people. The group has until July 1st before they've got to make a decision on the reparations. And if you hadn't heard of Jenkins, you should have. He ran for president in 2016 and 2020, ran for the U.S. Senate in California in 2022, gaining less than 7,000 votes. Now, this is all serious. I mean, this is serious business, folks. On his website, his official website, Jenkins calls himself as grassroots hip-hop organizer. In his speech Wednesday, Jenkins also said, defense, money, land, grants. Four elements of every society, every nation. Defense, money, land, and grants. A defensive structure economy, land, and having access to that economy. He continued, if that's not being addressed, reparations will not hold. Reparations repair is the root word. We cannot have repair if those elements are not addressed. Also speaking yesterday was Reverend Tony Pierce of the Black Wall Street Project, who shouted as his time for speaking ran out, $230,000 is not enough. Another speaker, Carol Williams, who said that she lived through homelessness since moving to the state in 1985 from Memphis, stated her belief that all reparations should be tax-free. She said, I consider myself a foundational black American. Reparations should be tax-free so that when we get the money, the IRS won't come after us. And I'm pleading and I'm asking that when we make the decision of lineage, we save those who have been in California since 2000. While another speaker said, I can't even walk down the street without being judged. There's nothing I can do in this world without being judged. Why should I be judged? Only by the color of my skin? 
At the hearing on Wednesday, 35-year-old entrepreneur and the first black professional triathlete, Max Fennell, who said that every person should get $350,000 in compensation to close the racial wealth gap and black-owned businesses should receive a quarter of a million, which would help them to flourish. Fennell added, it's a debt that's owed. We worked for free, he said. We're not asking, we're telling you. He concluded by saying, the tangibles of what I'm asking for is 350000 per black American in California. That's tangible. Small business grants 250000 and land 15 to 20 acres. Fennel posted a video on Instagram showing him at the hearings with about 60 others alongside the caption, witnessing history with the tribe. While Dimless Washington III, a Richmond City Council member, said it's remarkable that the issue is even being talked about publicly. You got to name a problem in order to address it, he said. Of course we want to see it addressed now. The urgency is now. But just having it all aired out and put on the line is a major feat. The day before the hearings began, a chair of the committee hit out at reports that the group plans to recommend that $225,000 will be handed out to each person applying for the program. In a series of interviews on December 13th, Camila V. Moore said that the figure presented the committee by an economic research team represents the state of California's maximum culpability for housing discrimination. It only applies to people who were impacted by housing discrimination between 1933 and 1977, and not just black people. Moore said, in reality, that number would be minimized when you take into account the fact that the task force decided in March that the community of eligibility would be lineage-based rather than race-based, she added. When you really look at who was really impacted by housing discrimination during that particular time period, it most likely won't be all black folks. In a separate interview, Moore pointed out the need for a Bureau of African American Affairs in order to handle the payments, pointing to the success of the Bureau of Indian Affairs record of handling similar issues for Native Americans. Moore opened the hearing on Wednesday by saying September's meeting in L.A. and today's meeting in Oakland characterized a development stage. Now we are not really looking for folks to provide personal and expert testimony. She continued, it's important to get the right, get this right, because we're setting the precedent for other states and localities and also for the federal government as well. I could go on and on and on. I'm not going to do it. Let me tell you this. I just get hung up at this one point. What all of these people are wanting. Now, I don't live in California. I've never lived in California. I've been there a few times. When I was there, because I was there and it was California, I paid a bunch of money to be there. That went into somebody's pocket. I mean, I stayed in hotels that are way more expensive than hotels anywhere else. I ate in restaurants that are more expensive than pretty much restaurants anywhere else. 
I uh, rented a car that was more expensive in California than anywhere else. And you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. But they want me. Just talk about me for a second. Um, my lineage was from Europe. Northern Europe, as a matter of fact. And nobody in the Newman family, my Newman family, came to the United States before about 1875. So what does that mean, Dan? Well, they came to Massachusetts first, and then went to Georgia, and then immigrated to South Texas. Nobody in my family had slaves. In fact... A couple of my uh, ancestors belonged, now listen to this, belonged to some very wealthy Irish people. And they were bond servants. Now, they were white. Now, keep that in mind. But they were bond servants to these very wealthy Irish people immigrated to the United States. And they had to pay for several years money to these people that they were the bond servants of to pay back to get their freedom. And they did just that. Never owned any slaves. They were as close as being slaves, I guess, as you could be as a white person. So if I lived in California today, what all these people you just heard and many others feel is okay and right and righteous is that I should be part of Californians who pay somebody for something that other people did, other people of other lineages other than mine. Maybe their lineage was Americans in the traditional sense, and maybe they owned slaves. But my people didn't. My tax dollars, they want that to go to pay for these things that are assumed and they think is fair and righteous and that is necessary and that every white person should be a part of it. I don't get any of this, folks. I think it is poppycock. I think it is a way to perpetuate the feeling that has destroyed many, many corporations, many, many families throughout generations. And what is that, Dan? Somebody owes me something just because. If you go down this rabbit trail, and you can stay in the race mode if you want to, but even getting out of the race road, there is somebody in your rearview mirror that has wronged you, and in many cases has cost you tremendously. And there are people that look at you and will blame you way back in your lineage. There are people that did bad things to other people, and you should pay for that. It's the most ridiculous line to go into that I've ever heard anybody honestly feeling like it's justified. I just can't believe This is given 
life. But it is, and there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that have been taught somebody owes them something because somebody way, way back years ago did something to somebody that was one of your relatives that I had nothing to do with, nor did anybody in my lineage back then have anything to do with. And just because I'm breathing air today and the color of my skin, the only thing that's fair is that I pay for it. That's the most ridiculous allegations I have ever heard. Where does it come from? Listen closely. I'm going to tell you exactly where it comes from. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Is that evil what these people in California are trying to do? Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not from Dan. That's from the Bible. You process it. You think it through for yourself. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Let's just walk right into another um, very controversial issue. Transgender discussions between adults and children. You know who Dave Rubin is. He's a uh, commentator, uh, a podcaster. He's a big shot. He really is. He's way up there. He has a show that's on multiple places, YouTube and uh I forget the name of the other network, but he's out there and he has some very good things to say, as a lot of people do. He's heard by a lot more people than we are here at TNN Live. That really doesn't matter. But I picked up yesterday on one segment that he did. It's about a woman who's testifying before Congress regarding transgender discussions between so-called experts, teachers, social workers um, at school with kids 
about transgender issues. Now, let me just say this. My kids are grown. I guess, how old is our baby, Caleb? He is, he was born in the 80s. He's 42 years old. My baby is 42 years old. And my grandchildren, the youngest grandchild's in the eighth grade. But he is in the eighth grade. And this expert you're going to hear from in just a second is discussing the rights of experts at school their rights, the soul rights. And this is the part that is shocking in this conversation. This expert maintains that parents have no rights regarding transgender issues and discussions with their own kids about transgender issues. They really think that. Here is a woman by the, well, I assume she's a woman. She looks like a woman to me, but she might have a penis. Who knows anymore? Uh, her name is Jessie Pocock, a woman by the name of Jessie Pocock. Uh, she is the CEO and executive director of Inside Out Youth Services Advocacy Organization. Uh, and she was being questioned on C-SPAN about whether parents have rights related to their children going through these processes and whether parents should know that their kids are on hormones, et cetera. Uh, once again, we are doing a trans segment here and the expert, her name is Jessie Pocock. Pocock. ...is safe and protected. We have, uh, we are constantly filing reports of abuse and neglect because of parents hey, I, I not understand the cases of, of uh, It sounds are. like you're deflecting the question a little bit. Uh, I understand cases of abuse. There's laws to protect the abuse. I mean, schools actually are legally obligated to report cases of abuse, mm-hmm. same for churches and, and the like, anyone who deals with young people. But, uh, you know, do parents have a right? Should they be informed about what's going on? Do they have a right to know what's going on in their kids' lives? So I think, again... Those of us who are protecting and supporting young people are there and trusted with the information of the things that they are dealing with. In terms of parents' rights to know at schools, I mean, here in Colorado, parents don't have the right. If a young person is questioning their gender or their sexuality, there are laws in place that say that they have the right to process that with their trusted counselor and so forth. You do a significant amount of your work with kids even starting at age 13. Yeah. Uh, what what would be the age of consent then in your in your mind? Uh, in our community, the age of consent to mental health therapy is twelve years old. So the woman who wants to talk to your children about transitioning and sexuality and everything else, just one more time. Her name is Mrs. Pocock. She believes that, uh, as she said, that we have people who are protecting and supporting kids. Um, I could have sworn that was the job of the parent. I don't want Pocock talking to my children. Pocock will not come near my children. And Pocock shouldn't come near your children. Do you think that there's any chance, as as the representative laid out there? So she thinks a 13-year-old can walk into her office and ask about um, puberty blockers, surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there is any chance that when that happens, so let's, let's say it's a girl, I did a boy last time, so let's say it's a girl, right? So a little girl comes in and she says, you know, I feel like a boy. I feel, I'm 13 years old, I feel like a boy. I, I like 
baseball. I don't really like dresses, whatever. Do you think there's any chance in high hell that Pocock and her minions say, you know what, actually you're just going through a phase. And by the way, there are some girls that like baseball and sometimes they turn out to be lesbians, sometimes not. There, you know, there's a whole spectrum of things. These are the people who love like the whole spectrum and diversity and equality of everything and all that stuff. But for some reason with gender and sex, if you feel a little bit different, if you're not freaking, you know, nail polish blonde and doing your thing, then you are automatically a dude. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. And these people should have nothing to do with anyone else's children. You know, I guess I'm amazed on a number of different levels when I hear that conversation. They weighed in, I guess, a little bit sharing my thoughts on it, even though, I, as I said before we played that segment, um, it's hard for me to relate to this nowadays because it has changed dramatically in the last few years, and my youngest grandson the youngest one of my grandchildren is in the eighth grade. So I'm, I'm assuming that Weston's already gone through this and dealt with it on his own. Maybe he has it. I don't know. Thankfully, he's at a Christian school. And I'm sure if there is an issue in that regard, and I know him well, I can tell you I don't think there's any issue there. But he would have the freedom to talk to somebody. But if it happened at that school immediately, Weston's parents would be notified and brought into that conversation. The thought that not only is there someone or some people in Colorado that formally have the legal right to discuss such matters with my grandchild, my child, any person that lives in Colorado and their kids go to public school, that's the law and that I don't have any right to know about those conversations or even be part of those conversations is the height of insanity. What is this nation coming to? Now, I don't live in a vacuum. I understand those kind of issues. They never happened when I was younger. Maybe it was just suppressed. Maybe there were a lot of boys and girls that just suppressed it, or they talked to somebody and they found out it wasn't a big deal. It was just something that they were considering. Just because a kid considers something doesn't mean that that thing they're considering automatically should change their lives forever. But Ms. Pocott, doctor, I don't know if she's a doctor. I don't think she is, but anyway... Ms. Pocott says, in Colorado, the government has the sole right to talk to that matter and that the parents aren't going to be part of the conversation, don't have to be, and therefore probably won't be. Can you believe we live in a nation where a state, and I'm sure there are other states, that have given that sole right to someone other than the parents? It's just hard for me to believe that exists, but it does. You just heard it in Colorado. Now, I love Colorado. I love the mountains. I love the snow. Uh, I like the feeling that you get there when you're up at altitude. I've been there many times. Um, several times I've been on a Harley riding across 
I think it's Highway 160 that goes east to west all across the bottom of Colorado and you get into the mountains when you do that ride over to, uh, oh, what's the town in southwest Florida, one of my favorite towns to go to. I can't even remember it. But I love Colorado and there are great people there, but I can't believe the government has gone this far. But apparently they have. Oh, well, another reason why not to live in Colorado if you have young children. I'm not making fun of people. I'm just saying factually, I can't believe that's happening in any family. I don't care where it is. Anybody, anywhere, and not just in the United States, by the way. Now, let's look at another little nut job thing that's happening. The largest bank in Europe. Now, we're talking about Europe. That means it's a really big bank. It has nearly $3 trillion in assets, this bank does. It has now said it's no longer going to finance new oil or gas fields. Now think about that. There's a lot of oil and gas across Europe. We don't have a, uh, a, a sole right to it all here in the United States. It's underground in various places across the world. And they're not going to finance new oil or gas fields. Why? Well, supposedly to meet its commitments to help the UK government in reaching their goal of reaching net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050. According to a report from the BBC, HSBC, that's the bank, came to this decision after following consultation with leading scientific and international bodies. In 2020, the British bank already committed to investing 806 billion pounds, that's about a trillion dollars, into supposedly green energy sources, as well as committing to net zero. However, HSBC, the bank, faced criticism from climate activists as it was revealed that it had pumped approximately 6.4 billion pounds, that's about $8.7 billion, into new oil and gas projects last year. Uh-oh, you got busted. Hailing the move, the chief executive at Climate Finance Campaign, Make My Money Matter, a guy named Tony Burden said, It's another nail in the coffin for fossil fuel expansion and a massive signal to other UK banks that the game is up on new oil and gas. So as one of the world's largest banks, HSBC, they've been a a key figure in the adoption of ESG. That's Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Scores. By the way, ESG is the scourge of corporate America and corporate worlds in other countries. I promise you, if you haven't heard about ESG, you're going to hear about it ad nauseum. Environmental, social, and corporate governance. Every government is talking about it. Every government has experts in it on their business stuff. And they're talking about this is a so-called structure that needs to be mandatory in every corporation, in every government at any level. 
environmental, social, and corporate governance. The scheme, it is a scheme, is a form of leftist activism in which financial investments are incentivized. Incentivized to take into account social and political positions which do not necessarily benefit that business, such as climate goals or the imposition of diversity, equity, the E-word that I despise, equity and inclusion in their hiring practices. Commenting on its ESG commitments, HSBC has said this. This is a quote from the CEO. This is a $3 trillion bank. We are powering new solutions to the climate crisis and supporting the transition to a low-carbon future. We are building an inclusive organization that prioritizes well-being, invests in learning and careers, and prepares our colleagues for the future of work. And we uphold high standards of corporate governance and ensure we meet our responsibilities to societies. HSBC has been criticized for the timing of this move to cut off all new oil and gas expenditures during one of the largest energy crises in decades, caused in small part by European governments pursuing allegedly green forms of energy rather than on reliable, you know, those evil fossil fuel sources that have left their country's reliance on, guess who, authoritarian regimes in the Middle East and in Moscow. That's working out well for Northern Europe right now, isn't it? (laughs) Vladimir Putin just walked over to the corner in his office and turned down the knob on gas that he was selling to Northern Europe. So commenting on HSBC's announcement, Brexit leader Nigel Farage He mocked the bank for being so virtuous and so wonderful. He said this, Not only is this another act of self-inflicted lunacy on the United Kingdom, because we need people in those sectors, we need jobs, we need tax revenues, but we are going to have to use the gas and oil anyway. We'll just import it from somewhere else under worse environmental standards than we have here. This is the madness that has gripped the corporate world. It's damaging our country, Farage added. And he concluded by saying, we need a leader that stands up and says, enough. The United States had one of those guys. You remember him? Back in 2016. He stood up and said, enough is enough. Stop the politics. Let's just get on with the business of the people. I'm paraphrasing Donald Trump. HSBC, they've got some more criticism for their close relationship with the world's number one polluter. And who would that be? Communist China. Even going so far as to debank pro-democracy activists and politicians in Hong Kong, as well as supporting the imposition of the Communist Chinese Party's draconian national security law, which is all but crushed any protest movement. Uh, 
in the former British colony. I got to be honest with you folks, the politicization of everything that happens around the world. I just don't see how these nut jobs can be kept in places of power when it is so obvious to the rank and file, the people down at the street level, they don't live up in the 56th floor of a high rise that's got HSBC Bank's logo at the top. They don't live or work up there. They don't relate to that. What they relate to is now over there in the UK, if you go to fill up with gas, it's not gas, it's petrol, and you don't pay by the gallon, you pay by uh, the liter. And if you haven't spent any time over there, it's culture shock when you pull up to the tank in a rental vehicle and you start to buy petrol. It's way more expenses there than it is here. And we've been bitching and moaning about the price at the pump since the beginning of the Biden administration, haven't we? But they're into this, you know, politically correct stuff. So they got it going on over there. They're going after the Green New Deal. Green energy, which is much better than that evil natural gas and petrol that's just destroying our environment. You can't live without fossil fuels. You can't do it. Your solar panels and your wind energy won't power the world. It won't do it. Yes, help nations, work with nations, and do it continuously to be more conscious of environmental issues and to stop pollution. Just stop it. And people over on that side of the pond, for political purposes, they look at people on this side of the pond and they wag their fingers at us saying, naughty, naughty United States of America, when, as a matter of fact, every year since the turn of the century, every year, the United States of America has reduced its fossil fuel emissions. Even as our population has flourished, more and more people over here, but yet our carbon footprint has gotten smaller than it has on any other nation on the globe. But we're those evil Yankees. Yeah, you know about that, don't you? This is just another example of just cold, hard stupidity coming from people in power that don't have a clue. Speaking of people in power without a clue, I just happened to listen in on a little segment of testimony in the U.S. House of Representatives two days ago. And a representative from Minnesota who is gay is married, and she and her wife adopted kids, and they even have grandkids. And this is about that bill that was signed into law, you know, all of the hoo-ha that happened at the White House a couple of days ago. It just legitimized the recognition state by state across the nation, everywhere, about marriage, making marriage. Pretty much, I guess, if you want to marry a sheep, 
You got the unfettered right now to do it. This is the United States of America, and anything goes. I want you to listen. This is right before the bill was finished, and it was signed into law, by the way. But listen to the legitimacy of the thinking that went up to this. Mr. Speaker, my wife Cheryl and I were married 14 years ago when one of the first states in our country allowed us to do so. It took years and a Supreme Court ruling to acknowledge and grant the legal protections that come with marriage across this great land. In the ensuing years, we raised our four sons and we expanded our family of six to nine, adding two daughter-in-laws and a grandson to that mix. I'm standing here today because in the year 2022, families like mine are once again concerned that an activist, out-of-step Supreme Court is going to take those rights away. And just so we're clear, that Supreme Court and the members in opposition of this legislation today are out of step with the American people. Today, I urge all of my colleagues to vote yes on the Respect for Marriage Act, a bill that takes the long-standing overdue step of repealing DOMA and ensures that same-sex and interracial marriage is recognized in every state, no matter who is sitting on the Supreme Court. We've made progress. Ge- Let's not ge- go back, America. The, the and time with is, that, I yield back. The gentlewoman's time has expired. Uh, the gentleman from New York reserves. The gentleman from Ohio is recognized. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would just first say <clears throat> the, the previous speaker talked about being out of step with the American people. Are you kidding me? The Democrats are the party who think men can use women's restrooms. The Democrats are the party who think boys can participate in girls' sports. The Democrats are the party that think you can take the life of an unborn child right up until their birthday. And the Democrats are the party who actually had a witness in committee say that she, that, that, that she thought men could get pregnant. And we're the ones who are out of step with, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> that, was, that was Jim Jordan, congressman from uh, Ohio. We're out of step? Well, as I said, maybe, oh, maybe under this new law, there'll be somebody that wants to marry a sheep <laughs> or a goat. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, come on now. <laughs> this is just outright insanity. And we are living in this environment in the United States of America. And we're the greatest nation on earth. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box 
and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house, your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I'm sure you uh, figured out that that commercial you just heard, Square Packaging, (laughs) it's a joke, folks. (laughs) I don't think there's a company on earth that's named Square Packaging Incorporated. I, I... I just I thought that was that was funny, and every once in a while, people that know me, you know, I like to laugh. Every once in a while, we just don't get enough of that. We don't get enough, do we? It might not have been a um, a blunt declaration in the vein of "Oh, we're going after the pro-lifers," but I gotta I gotta tell you, in formal government official speech. It was undeniable. The Joe Biden Department of Justice admitted they were targeting anti-abortion activists by stretching the Freedom of Access to Clinic Interests Act, called the FACE Act, to some really absurd limits. Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta's remarks at the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division's 65th anniversary this month. The publication also noted the DOJ's appalling silence regarding the nearly 100 Catholic churches that have been vandalized. An equal number of pregnancy centers have been subjected to arson. The Justice Department has been targeting pro-life activists through the Freedom of Access to Clinic Interests Act. Now, Gupta did not immediately respond to requests for comment. But the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division that enforces this act, which prohibits threats of force, obstruction, and property damage that's intended to interfere with reproductive health care services. And they have weaponized that from day one against pro-life activists. They won't admit it. The Department of Justice is threatening to throw the book in a January 6th-esque political prosecution of elderly, God-worshipping Americans who dared to stand up for innocent, unborn life. It's another example that proves we have a two-tiered justice system in Biden's divided America, while pro-abortion extremists, they're free to terrorize communities across the nation any way they want to, really. Instead of charging the far-left Antifa terrorists that are firebombing pregnancy crisis centers across the post-Roe America and disturbing the suburban residences of our Supreme Court justice, 
The Biden administration's so-called Department of Justice is targeting peaceful pro-life activists. 11 pro-life advocates who were indicted by Biden's DOJ last week for peacefully demonstrating at an abortion clinic in Mount Juliet, Tennessee last year. A federal indictment unsealed last Wednesday charges the pro-life defendants with violations of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, alleging the activists aided and abetted by one another, used force and physical obstruction to injure, intimidate, and interfere with employees of the clinic and a patient who was seeking reproductive health services. That's also known as killing unborn infants, by the way. You might be tempted to believe the Biden administration's anti-life rhetoric, but documentary evidence says otherwise. Here's who was among the grandparents and Christian street preachers facing federal charges. Several missionaries, a survivor of the communist concentration camps, a mother of 10 adopted children, and a former stage 4 cancer patient. It's a federal indictment. It was returned last Monday by a federal grand jury, accuses these pro-life defendants of committing these FACE Act violations. Chester Chet Eugene Gallagher, 73, of Tennessee. Eva Edel, 87, of South Carolina. Heather Ruth Adoni, 58, of Michigan. Calvin Cal John Zastro, 61, of Michigan. Paul Vaughn, 55, of Tennessee. Dennis Earl Green, 56, of Virginia. Coleman Boyd, 50, from Mississippi. Eva Zastro, 24, of Arkansas. James Jimmy Zastro, 25, of Missouri. Carolyn Davis, 24, of Michigan. And Paul Place, 24, of Tennessee. Now, the Biden White House has denied that they're deliberately targeting pro-life leaders. But it's hard to trust an administration that lies incessantly about everything, especially its hyper-political DOJ. Gupta has a known track record of being more of an activist than an impartial legal official. Sadly, it's another development, just like Elon Musk's Twitter files, that is shocking but also anticipated simultaneously. We always knew these annex were occurring behind closed doors. We've got hard evidence now. Now, in the middle of all of this, our president, President Biden, proclaimed yesterday that the United States and other G7 countries are going to donate billions to get South Africa off of coal and renewables to the chagrin of many on Twitter. Today's announcement joined a portfolio of Partnership for Global Infrastructure Investment Projects already underway in Africa, Biden declared, including mobilizing $8 billion in public and private finance to help South Africa replace coal-fired power plants with renewable energy sources. Biden also said money would be spent to help develop cutting-edge energy solutions like clean hydrogen. Now, wait a minute. Clean hydrogen? Hydrogen? Uh, 
That's a fossil fuel byproduct. A deal worth $2 billion, he said, to build solar energy projects in Angola. $600 million high-speed communications cables that will connect Southeast Asia to Europe through Egypt and the Horn of Africa and help bring high-speed internet connectivity to countries all along the way. Commentators across Twitter expressed outrage about the energy funding to South Africa. Sky News host Rita Panayi slammed the announcement as weapons-grade lunacy and wrote, as if South Africans haven't suffered enough with the unreliable energy. Representative Warren Davidson, a Republican from Ohio, said this, just like students' debt transfers, Joe Biden doesn't have the authority to deliver on this foolish promise. He also doesn't have a clue. A political commentator, Ian Miles Chong, tweeted sarcastically, print more money. The account representing the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire suggested spreading misery is merely modern U.S. policy. Terrorizing Americans isn't enough for them, it wrote. They have to ruin the lives of people in other countries, as well with the money they steal from us. Journalist Luke Rudkowski asked, How much are we going to be paying China? And there's only so much money you can print. (laughs) Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton, he weighed in. What a racket. Tech journalist Dorino Pisano Carta said the money could be better spent at home. This grift will never end, folks. Never. I rather our tax dollars help other Americans. I pledge universal health care for all and UBI. Also fix infrastructure. Sensitivity training for all cops, he wrote. We can do all this and more with the billions we've been tossing around overseas. And it just goes on and on and on. Listen, folks, there's plenty of graft and corruption. Plenty. You want another one? Lanzatech, a Chicago area company, says it turns pollution into cool things such as fuels and chemicals. And I guess just because they say that, they've gotten a bunch of U.S. tax money. And guess what country Lanzatech is tight with? Of course, <laughs> China. The Biden administration has given the company $10 million in grant payments since April when Lanzatech announced it was working closely with Cinepec Capital. Cinepec Capital is the green energy investment arm of the Chinese state-owned oil conglomerate, Sinopec Group, also known as the China Petrochemical Corporation. Lanzatech's filings with the SEC concede that its tight ties to Sinopec could affect its financial returns. What's more, Sinopec is the means by which China buys oil from Iran and Russia, Both of those companies, countries, excuse me, are under U.S. sanctions. In an SEC filing on November 14th, Lanzatech admitted, we are subject to the risk that the Chinese government may intervene or influence our operations at any time. 
We gave them $5 million. And who cozied up to and is cozy with Sinopec? Hunter Biden. And the big guy. Got to whisper those kind of things. It makes everybody wonder if the touting of all these wonderful electric cars that Biden loves is aiming at aiding his friends, the Chinese, and why is that? They control more of the minerals that are necessary to build batteries for electric cars than any other country on the planet. Wow. Love of money, the root of all evil. (laughs) Hey, guys. I want to thank you for being here. We're going to wrap up the week together with um, one more song, the Christmas song. Have a great weekend, folks. Chestnut roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Your tired carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe To make the season bright Tiny tots With their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy Really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two It's been said many times, many ways.